0: Praise the Lord. Will you turn in your, in your Bible with me, please? We're going to turn to Numbers 21, 4 through 9. Numbers 21, 4 through 9. If you had to, off the top of your head, say one Bible verse, what Bible verse would it be? you got to just say, John 3.16. It's the most famous one, right? Everybody knows it. You see it at baseball games. You see it all over the place. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, that whoever might believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Like this is a verse that's on our minds. And what a great verse. But there's a lot of context to that verse. And so as John is telling us about this great truth of the gospel message that we have life in Jesus, he's also doing it, not just that verse alone. But he's doing it in a context of all these things he's talking about. And we're going to look at that a little bit today. One of the things he talks about is way back in Numbers chapter 4. As you're finishing turning there at the beginning, opening of your Bible here, excuse me, Numbers chapter 21. As you're turning there, Numbers 21, we are going to, I want you to close your eyes for a second if you found your place or you've got it on your phone already. And I want to ask you a question. This is just rhetorical, so don't answer. How do you see Jesus? Look at him in your mind. Look at him in your heart. What does he look like? What is he doing? Where is he? These are important things. As we think about how we picture God and view him, it really reveals a lot to us about our default of when we come to God. Maybe you see Jesus as your salvation and you see him shining. Maybe you see him as a baby from Christmas time. Maybe you see him on the cross. Maybe you see him standing with you. How do you see Jesus? Um, One time I was a young guy and I was working in a landscaping job. And in this particular job, we were working along and we had to clear a bunch of this kind of overgrown area. And so uh, the guy out there gave me a shovel and he said, start scraping the earth, basically, and just get everything out and then we're going to put some special weed killer down and we're going to cover it in mulch and it's going to look really nice but we got to clear all this out and so i start kind of scalping the top layer of topsoil out and at some point i hit a snake's nest yeah and a copperhead or a rattlesnake or a cobra or something (laughs) for sure it was deadly for sure Um, came out of this hole right by my foot and i'm down here like this working on the ground and so he's right by my hand and I screamed like a young girl, jumped in the air, and just, I mean, I fought, I fought that ground. Wherever I was, just struck my shovel at everything that I saw <laughs> to fight to get the snake. And the snake was this big. I mean, it was a deadly dangerous baby snake. And you know what's going through my head is the babies have the most venom. The babies have the most venom. I don't know if you know that, but the babies have the most venom because I can't control it. So it, I was terrified. I was terrified about this whole thing. It was. It was not good. And this baby snake, man, I'll tell you what, as I am striking the earth to try to dispatch my mortal enemy, I'm hitting the ground and I'm just crying out to Jesus, Lord, help me, Jesus, help me, help me! And I'm just fighting. Have you ever had those moments where you're sort of semi-panicking and then you, know, you realize everyone's watching you? It's great, it's a great thing, especially landscaping with a bunch of guys. That's a, you're gonna live that one down, that's gonna go well. But I was terrified and I was crying out to God for help. In Numbers chapter 21 that we're about to read, the people of Israel, they've come out of slavery in Egypt, they've witnessed all the great things that God has done. He has led them by a literal cloud in the day, pillar of cloud, and a pillar of fire at night. He has provided for them manna, bread that has fallen from heaven, to feed them in the desert. Water has shown up out of nowhere. Water has been carried away for them to be able to cross over in dry land when they've come to different areas. Um, They are concerned, obviously, because it's a desert, but the water's either been there or not been there every time they've needed it. They have wanted meat, and so God gave them quail that just dropped from the sky, and so they've got meat now. The Lord is providing for all their needs. Their shoes aren't even worn out after all these years of walking in the wilderness. And some good things happen, some bad things happen. Overall, even though they saw him, even though they heard the law come from him, even though they encountered God in a way that all of us have, I'm sure, prayed, like, Lord, if I want to just see you like they saw you, even though that happens, in the end, they decide that it would have been better if maybe they'd just gone back to Egypt. Or maybe if they just died in the wilderness out there, it'd be better than what they're enduring year after year as God's carrying them somewhere. And so they speak against God, and the Lord judges them, and the whole generation now is wandering as a new generation is coming up and God has said, this generation will not enter the land that I'm giving you. We're going to use the kids instead. What a terrible thing. You know, have your life. It's not pointless, but you know it's not going to go anywhere. It's sad. So they're walking and they're encountering different people groups and things are happening. Even Moses, the leader, has uh, sinned against God and he can't go into the promised land. This is terrible, these things that are happening. Then Aaron, the high priest, dies. The people are not doing well. Things are not going great. And so what do the people do? They start to speak out against God because they're upset and they grumble. In Numbers 21, let's read at verse 4 what it says. From Mount Hor, they, that's the people of the Lord, set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt so that we might die in the wilderness? There's no food, there's no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We've sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people and the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Praise the Lord for his word. This is kind of a strange passage, isn't it? Where did the snakes come from? The Lord sends them. Why does he send them? He sends them because the people are rebelling against him. They get bit, really bit by snakes. I was terrified by that little snake, whatever it actually was. I found the mama snake later, by the way. Different story. And it it really, I was terrified in that moment. I mean, I'm okay now, because I'm pretty strong. It's going to be all right. But I was scared of the snake. Could you imagine being in a camp and all of a sudden snakes come and they're biting your friends and people are dying? It's terrifying. And in the scene, sometimes we think that the people of Israel is like this building. It's like right here. It's us. And we're walking through and we're seeing and then snakes show up and they start biting people and like, oh no, Jeff is bitten by a snake. Jeff look at the thing. But in reality it's much, much, much bigger than this. There's like a million, over a million people. And so imagine you're kind of downtown St. Louis and somebody gets bit by the snake. And they say, What do we do? And you start doing first aid, whatever you can think to do. And so you are trying to suck out the poison, or you're trying to help, or you're trying to put a tourniquet thing on, or you're doing something. And you say, The medicine is failing. We got to do something. And somebody says, Moses prayed for us, and the Lord said, If you look on this bronze serpent, you're going to live. And so you take your buddy and you say, Come with me before you die and you're trudging through the town to try to get to the one place where you can look on the bronze serpent and then your friend looks at the bronze serpent and suddenly their strength begins to revive and the bite still a bite but it goes away and the bronze serpent is not like St. Patrick in Ireland he doesn't come in with some kind of loot and all the snakes follow him and then they go away the snakes are still there so the bronze serpent is hanging up there and if anyone is bit, they got to get to that one spot because the snakes stay around. That's nasty. When we lived in California when I was a little kid, uh, we had a laundry room in our garage, and my mom used to admonish us all the time that if we ever did anything in the laundry room in, the, in our garage, so if you're going to get a baseball glove or get your bike out or whatever you're going to do, you have to watch out for rattlesnakes. And so I was convinced there were rattlesnakes living in our garage, because what they would do is people would take the hot laundry out of the dryer and stick it in a basket and then walk inside, and snakes would slither in, like, ooh, this is warm, and sit in the laundry. Could you imagine? You're folding your kid's whatever. It's a rattlesnake. Oh, hey, that's not gonna be fun. But that's kind of what these people are living in. The snakes are there. And they look up at the bronze serpent, what's the point of the bronze serpent? You know, God had commanded the people, don't make idols. There's nothing magic about the bronze serpent. It's not like a magic talisman that if you can look on this, it's enchanted, and somehow you're healed. That's not what's happening. What's, what's happening is the Lord is lifting something up that the people might gaze on it, and if they gaze on it and look at it, the Lord is causing them to remember all the things that has already transpired, that he is their salvation, and they've grumbled against him, and he's the only way they can get saved. And so they look on it. They're not worshiping the bronze serpent. They're looking on it and remembering the Lord and his faithfulness despite their unfaithfulness. It's pretty incredible. Man, it just really makes me wonder sometimes. You know, we often say, if I could just live back then and see it. This is a time I don't, I'm good. Like Indiana Jones and I, We're okay. We don't do snakes. It's going to be all right. Many Christians know God's salvation. They see his salvation. They have seen him. They know Christ's call. They feel his peace. They know that they've been changed, that something's happened, and it's different. And then they open their eyes and look around, and they're shocked that there are still snakes around. They're still everywhere, it feels like, sometimes. Some Christians try to keep those snakes as pets. Look back on them from a time gone by, a time that the world tells us this was a good time in your life. This was the best years of your life. And so they want to look back on that and remember. I remember one time when I was in high school, I had a teacher. Uh, this is kind of nasty, so just bear with me. I had a teacher, and his brother was an ER doctor. And so he would always give us these ER stories of just weird things that would happen. That's like how he would start the day. You know those teachers in high school, they got to capture your attention. and. Uh, and he was great at it, and so he would tell us these stories, and then we'd go into whatever subject he taught, because I can't remember. That's, a jo- that's kind of a joke. <laughs> anyway, he was a great teacher. He was an excellent guy, and he taught history. And so we were uh, so we were listening to these stories, and one day he's telling us about his brother treating a guy who had gotten sick. And so he's, laying in, his, he's in his house, and he had started feeling bad, and so he laid down on his couch and basically went into, like, a little coma episode thing for a couple days, and he was just on his couch. Now, when my dad has diabetes, when my dad got diabetes, and it you know came out and all this kind of stuff, his dog would just follow him around. And if his numbers ever got low, it was so weird, because the dog would get really agitated and start barking and, like, help him. Hey, you're something's wrong, because he could just smell it somehow. This guy, who fell asleep on the couch, passed out, and then had whatever episode, and now he's in this little coma thing, for two days, he's just laying on the couch, and his pet snake got out. And it was a giant, big like boa constrictor kind of giant snake, and the snake found him laying on the couch, and of course, in this medical episode, right? So he's totally unresponsive, and began to eat him. And so the snake had eaten up his arm to his shoulder, couldn't get past his shoulder, of course. So this guy wakes up, I don't know what the snake's name was. Let's pretend it's Alfred. The guy wakes up, and he's like, oh, he doesn't feel good, you know? He's like, oh, I, I need to go to the hospital. Well, hey, Alfred. And he's just... For two days, the snake's just been eating his owner. So they go to the ER. Could you imagine being an ER doctor? And here comes this guy and carrier. Man, not good. But he loved the snake, so he wanted to save its life, so he didn't want to, like, hurt the snake to get it off. They finally got it off, and it, So you can just use your imagination how terrible that is after two days. It was not good. You know, sometimes we think like these things that we can look back on and hold on to, they're not going to hurt us. They're not like the dogs who can tell when we're low and try to help us out. These things come back and they, they bite us. They eat us. They're trying to consume us. And then we're shocked because our minds plummet back into rejection and doubt and we're afraid about things, and suddenly all these feelings come up, and you're unsure, and we just don't know. And it's just like the Israelites. They've got to remember God and his faithfulness. They've forgotten just a few years before. They've forgotten from that morning when he gave them bread to eat from heaven that he's the provider. Turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. So now here's this disciple, the disciple who loves Jesus. They all love Jesus, but John's close to Jesus. They're, fr- they're friends. They sit close to each other. They've got some inside jokes that some of the other disciples don't have. And he's writing this account of all these things. And he tells us about this guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews, a rabbi. He's a Pharisee. He's a very important political and Uh, institutional sort of academic guy who knows the word of God and is teaching people about God, but also building laws. He's like in the legislature, but also a priest. And so Nicodemus is really important. And Nicodemus can see that Jesus, he's got something that he doesn't have because he's a good teacher. He's a very important person. But Jesus shows up. He has no training. He's a carpenter. He shows up and starts talking and thousands of people are around him and all of a sudden he says a couple words and it's like chains are falling off people and then he literally just walks by people and says a couple words and they're healed jesus is jesus is from god jesus is he's something and so nicodemus comes to him and he says in verse two this man nicodemus came to jesus by night john chapter 3 verse 2 and he said to him rabbi Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of things that we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, what's the very next verse? For God so loved the world. Why? Why is this here? Jesus is explaining to a teacher of Israel that you have to be something new. That the poison, the venom that has bitten you is so deep, the lies that you have believed are so ingrained in you, it has killed you, and you don't realize it. There is no anti-venom for what's in you. The rebellion, the sin. It's, you can see God. You can have miracle after miracle of manna and quail and water and deliverance and pillars and angels, and you can see victory everywhere you go. You can see judgment. You can see God's thundering bigness from Sinai. You can hear him say the law himself, Of how you should live and yet you cannot maintain it it's too deep so you have to become something new you have to be born again it's not enough just to look at a serpent that's up on a pole and still instead now the savior that you're looking for i am he jesus is saying the one that you think you're wondering you're not saying it but you're wondering Could this be the one we're waiting for? Could this be the one who's going to deliver us? Could this be the new Moses? Can this be the one who's going to free us from sin and from oppression and and bring us into freedom and life? Is he going to be the one who's going to lead us into the promised land again now? And Jesus is saying, yes, but not the way you think. Because as you saw Moses lifted up that serpent to save people from the venom of those fiery serpents that were crawling around everywhere, that were invading their homes, that they couldn't get rid of, now the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. What will that mean? We know what that means, don't we? He's literally going to be lifted up, not of his own power. He's going to be nailed to a tree. He's going to become the curse for us. He is going to take the venom and the full weight of of all the consequences of it. And just as Moses saw salvation for the people, if they gazed on that serpent that was hanging up, if we gaze on Jesus, if we see him, if we believe, he cleanses us. And he bears us new to become new creations. That no more are we just, it's not just an anti-venom. But now in him, we see him, we believe in him, And God changes us from the inside out to make us new. Like David said, those grass stains that you cannot get out, he doesn't doesn't just wash you and make you clean so that you can get dirty again. He takes you and makes you into something completely different in himself. He puts in you a new life that's not filled with venom, that's not destined for death, but that's eternal in himself. How does that happen? It happens because Jesus took all our sin upon himself on the cross. He took all the wrath of God for everything that we've done in rebellion to God. He paid the full punishment. He bore all the weight of it, and he died fulfilling the punishment that was due us. But there's more to the story than the Son of Man just being lifted up. And you can almost feel John change gears as he's writing this and he's remembering and he's thinking of this account and he suddenly moves on to a new thing. And in John 3, 16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should perish not, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. The poison's already in you, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. Praise the Lord for his word. What is he talking about? He's talking about the death of Jesus that took the penalty for all our sin, but also the resurrection of Jesus that secures life for us. And now it's not just people who are already condemned to death, already had poison in our hearts because of sin, but now raising with him, we identify with him and say, Lord, you are my king. As you live, I live. Lord, all of my trust is in you. All of my heart is in you. Lord, I have nothing else that I bring to you. There's no other serpent I can look on on a tree. There's no work I can do that's perfect. There's nothing I can do except cling to you, Jesus. And so I ask you again, do you see him? If you don't see him, if you can't behold him, not just on a tree dead, not as a baby in a manger, Not as just some benevolent teacher walking around giving away gifts. Not as one just breaking bread and feeding multitudes. But Jesus, the risen king. Jesus, the judge of the earth. Jesus, the God who delivered Israel. Jesus, the king who hung on a tree for us. Jesus, who's alive now. Jesus, who gives us life. The king, glory, eternal, forever, who is our inheritance and the one who is our salvation. If you can say, I believe in you, Jesus. If you say, Lord, my trust, my heart is in you. There's nothing else I can come to. You are my provision. You are my salvation. Then you're saved. And can you feel John, his, his heart changing to that as he's remembering this? And this is what our hearts are now, to see him as he is, risen, ruling, reigning, alive. And not just some fictional character or not some card at Easter that has a nice picture of some European-looking Jesus. But Jesus himself, alive. Alive. And what is he doing? Is he calling you? Is he bringing you? Is he standing with you? Is he seated in glory? You know, all those things are true by his Holy Spirit because he's made us a new creation. He's indwelled us by his Spirit. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He's changing us to look like him. He's leading us into righteousness and peace and joy. This Jesus, he's everything. He's everything. Praise the Lord for his salvation. Do you have any snakes at home? Do you have any snakes locked in your mind? Do you still look down and see the bite marks? Are you trying to run to one place that's a physical place to look on something? If I just come to church in the morning, I'll start feeling better and then I'll feel better about myself and it's going to be okay. If I listen to 30 hours of sermons this week, I'm going to be all right. The reality is we only come to one place, and his name is Jesus. See him. Come to him. Bow your knee before him. Say, Lord, I am not worthy, but you are worthy. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Forgive me of my sin. Lord, take the snakes. Take them for me. The Son of Man was lifted up for us, but he lives now. We're going to pray here before the worship team comes back, and we're going to close out in worship. I was waiting for the kids we are going to come back into. but that's okay. We're going to pray now if you know that there's a snake in, in a cage somewhere in your heart. If you know that you're bitten, but you don't know if there's a remedy, you gotta to come to Jesus. If you feel like the venom is still coursing through your veins and that you are not cleansed, you gotta to come to Jesus. He is the only way of salvation. What does that look like? It looks like saying, Lord, forgive me. I know I have failed you, but I want to be yours. I trust you, and I believe. The Bible tells, you, tells us if we believe in a heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, we will be saved. And I'm not telling you that tomorrow you won't see a snake, but I'm telling you that you will know, you will know that your Savior lives, and that there's a champion better than us who was lifted up for us, and you set your eyes on him and know he is leading us. Amen? Let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Come on up, worship team. Father, thank you that you're here. Thank you, Lord, in your goodness that you, Lord, you sent your son who would die for us. Thank you that you lifted him up, God, and that you've given us the ability by your Holy Spirit, not of ourselves, but of your works, that we can see you. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for holding on to old snakes. Forgive us, Lord, for trying to remedy the poison by ourselves. Lord, we confess our sin to you. We've tried to do it on our own. Lord, we've tried to put other things before you. Lord, we've loved ourselves, we've loved our idols, we've loved our free time, we've loved our money, we've loved all these things more than we've loved you. And so, Lord, right now, we lay it all before you and say, Father, take away the serpents. Lord, remove the venom from us. Lord, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, not hanging on a cross, but Jesus risen from the dead. Jesus ruling and reigning. Jesus seated now in a position of authority. Lord, give us a revelation by your word and by your Holy Spirit that we would know you deeper, that we would see you and walk with you every day. And Father, let the scars heal over any old bites because, Lord, you've made us new creations, God. And until that day when we see you come again, we remember, Lord, you live and we will live because of you. Thank you, Jesus. We belong to you.